Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Um, so I got a couple things for you this morning. We're going to be coming back to our series. Um, if uh, I know uh, it's so awesome seeing faces here. It's just really great. We've been spending a lot of time this year going through the book of Acts, understanding Acts. And then we took a break for a little while, and there was Easter, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. And now we're going to come back to that section of Acts. And I mentioned a little bit last week about what we're going to be doing as we start walking into this section um, this part of Acts that we're in, uh, chapters 13 through 15, we're really talking about Paul's missionary journeys. And there's all kinds of ways of looking at it and, and talking about what happens in each of the cities. I want to back up and actually look at this from a broader picture of the establishment of the church, the importance of the church. Um, and we're going to be starting that today, and this is going to go for a couple of weeks. And Whenever I've talked about the, 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 the need and the necessity for the church, I want to make sure, that especially if those of you who are watching online, this is, not a, uh, this, is, this is not a shame on you, you should be here. This, please don't understand this. We're in a situation, and we need to respect that and understand that. I am not talking about the situation we're in. I'm talking about the church in general and the importance of the church. Now, the only way that I know to do this is to confront confront it pretty, pretty significantly about what is going on in the church globally, why things are the way they are right now. And so today um, is kind of getting the dirty work out of the way. So today, if you think about any kind of healing, it should be known to everyone that the church around the world, Christianity around the world, is on the decline. It, it, it has been for a number of years, uh, over a couple of decades, it's been slowly d- dwindling around the world. Mission work and, and, and uh, gospel influence in other countries has been going well, but overall, it's still in decline. And so in order to get past that and find healing in that, we have to, we have to go to the hospital. If you think about going to a doctor and they, and they want to help you, sometimes you have to do surgery. And surgery sometimes means you have to go through a little bit of pain so you can get to the recovery. So today, we're going to the woodshed, Okay. It's not a hospital, it's not pretty, it's not, it's, not, it's not wonderful, it's a woodshed, and there's a guy in there with a dirty mask and an old knife, and we're going to get rid of some stuff today, okay? So I want to I wanna, I wanna preface today's message with, I am not getting any joy out of what I'm going to bring you today, but I've got to bring you some really hard honesty so that we can take a really hard look at ourselves, not just the church around us, but ourselves, so we can move forward in a more healthy way, Okay? I promise the next few weeks is going to be very challenging for you, and I would encourage you to do something. Either get one of the, get a sermon notebook or get something like a little journal. Sometimes you can go online to Amazon and they actually have sermon notebooks, sermon title date and things like that, and you can write stuff down. These are the types of things that as Christians we really need to arm ourselves with. Because for a long time, Christianity, especially Christianity in the United States, we've danced around difficult topics in the name of things like grace. Well, we got an error on the side of grace. That, that's awesome, but you can't have so much grace that you have no truth. And you can't have so much truth that you have no grace. So there's got to be a balance here. So we've got to confront some things today, uh, and it will, be, it will be challenging. I promise you it will be challenging. So today we're going to get the ugly stuff out of the way. We're going to get the self-examining stuff out of the way. Um, and while we're looking at this, 
I want to make sure that we understand we're not pointing fingers at any organizations, but I'm going to bring up some organizations. We're going to take a look at some weird things the Christian church does around the world. We're going to take a real hard look at some of these things. But I want to make sure we all understand every one of us has failures in our life. Every church has failures. Every organization has failures. Every denomination has failures. We have failures as a church, and you have failures as an individual. If you're under the impression at any point in time that you don't have failures, even significant failures in your life, your first failure, let me help you understand, is that you don't pay attention. Okay? We all have failures. Failures are nothing to fear, and they're nothing to try to hide. Failures are something that we should grab a hold of so that we can learn from them so that we don't do it again. How many of you enjoy making the same mistake over and over and over again? It's not fun. In the restaurant industry, we used to have guys who could burn things in rapid succession. They were always expensive. No one ever burned like the six-ounce sirloin steak that no one cared about. They always burned the 18 or 20-ounce tenderloin. You know, that was, and I think it's because that's what they wanted for dinner. (laughs) You know, you just burn it, set it to the side, and we'll have it later. Then it was, it was always big, expensive mistakes. And in, in our lives, it's the same thing. The only bad thing about failure is when we refuse to learn from it. So we need to make sure that we're learning from it. And while we're walking through this, what we're going to be comparing is two very important things. We're going to be comparing modern Christianity or what's called progressive or emergent Christianity with what's known as historic Christianity. And for those of you who might be wondering, this church focuses on historic Christianity, on biblically grounded, timeless truths within Christianity. I have no time for a lot of the modern stuff, and you can understand why, especially after today. And I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read you a section in Acts, starting in Acts 14, and then I want to give you a a loaded statement that is going to guide us through the rest of our conversation about the church. So we're going to start with Acts 14, and then we're going to give you a a, a loaded statement that I hope guides us, serves as our thesis for the rest of our conversation through this for the next few weeks. Now in this section of Acts, starting in 14, verse 21... This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas left from Antioch. They went on this long missionary journey. They stopped at multiple towns. They they, they led a lot of people to Christ. And they've kind of got to the last city. And then they turn around and they start heading back. And I want to focus on that for today. And I want to point out a couple of important details that we need to take from this. So in Acts 14, starting in verse 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Listen to this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Exhorting them to continue in the faith. Saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had anointed elders in every church. And prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now they had preached the word in Perga. They went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. Now when they had come, they had gathered the church together and reported all that God had done with them and and he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they started in Antioch. They went through the whole thing, the, the whole journey, and they came back to Antioch, and they gave a report to the church of what they had done. They wanted the church that had sent them to know what God had done. 
there are three things that historic Christianity points to in this section. Preach the gospel and make disciples. Strengthen the souls of the disciples and exhort them to continue in the faith. So when we're talking about historic Christianity and some of the founding principles of the church, these three are pillars. Preach the gospel and make disciples. If a church is not preaching the gospel and they're not making disciples, then they're not fulfilling the commandment of God. Some churches make students. They preach a version of the gospel, but they don't want to talk about sin because it's offensive. And they preach Bible trivia, but they don't actually preach the gospel because the gospel begins with salvation, repentance. And they don't make disciples because they don't require anything of you. A disciple is not someone who knows about Jesus. A disciple is someone who has committed themselves to following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's a disciple. A church that's not strengthening the souls of the disciples is also not fulfilling the commission of God. Because we're supposed to be building ourselves up to something. If you've been in church for 10, 15, 20, 30 or more years and you can't remember what you've learned and how your life has changed, then all you've done is come to a building and waste a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. You haven't done anything with your life. God, wants, does, God will take you just as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to bring you forward in him. He wants to create something new in you. And we as Christians should be exhorting one another to continue on in the faith, shouldn't we? It is our responsibility to get into the lives of other people and sometimes get into the face of other people in the church to help them stay on the path. If you're more worried about maintaining a friendship with someone who is walking away from God than you are about bringing them back to God, you've got to question the friendship and whether or not we really understand our role. See, the patterns and principles we find here are central to Paul's process of ministering and expanding the message of the gospel. In a nutshell, this is the core of historic Christianity. Outside of this, there's not a whole lot that exists. You can put almost everything we do as a church, as Christians, uh, every call of God, every ministry, into one of these three buckets. It all exists there. Now, there might be a little bit more we can argue about, but that's okay. But these are the three main buckets. We're going to get into more of this next week, but I just want to... I want to show you these three things, and you're going to see how they apply to what we've been talking about. Okay, so there's, there's Acts. Now it's time for the loaded statement. Okay? Now, I did not write this myself. I found this in some of my research, and I thought it was just fantastic. Um, uh, this was written by a theologian, um, and it was, I think this, this really gets to the heart of the issue, and it reads like this says, the church is not declining in numbers throughout the world because Christianity is becoming irrelevant. The church is declining because what we put forward as Christianity is irrelevant to the Christian faith. I read that and went, okay, yep. Christianity around the world is not declining because Christianity is becoming irrelevant. It's because what the church puts forward as Christianity is irrelevant to, the, to actual Christianity. And that makes you have to, I mean, whether you agree with that or not, you've got to stop and, make, and, and take some, some, some personal inventory. You've got to ask yourself, is, is this right? Is this, is this true? And personally, I think it is.
There's a growing number of Christian writers, bloggers, and theologians who have begun to publish material discussing this subject because of the direction a lot of the church is taking. And one quote that I found was this, has the modern church turned so far away from historic Christianity that that it has lost its way? Has the modern church turned so far away from historic Christianity that it has lost its way? I worded it like this. Is modern Christianity changing the world or is the world changing modern Christianity? I told you we were going to the woodshed today. (laughs) I I gave you fair warning. I want to show you a video clip of, some, of a compilation of several teachings that, I've, that I have collected. Um, one of the things that you guys know about me is, is I, I collect clips and I collect um, uh, little sound bites. And when, I'm, when, I'm, when I endorse a minister, it's because I've looked into them. And when, when I speak against false teaching, it's because I've looked into them. And some of this is, is difficult. But I want to show you a clip of some high-profile ministers in the church today, what I would call these progressive Christians... And I want you to see some of the stuff that the modern church is putting forward as Christianity. And then you tell me if it lines up with the three core teachings that we looked at just a minute ago. So here's this video. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. Oh, I have one more thing to show you. This is so cool. Okay, we take our kids to heaven. I mean, who doesn't? Okay, our kids go to heaven. And, and people that know how to do heaven things take them to heaven. And so we have a middle school that, that was tour guides. Is that where they're going? Okay. They take our, our middle school kids to heaven. So but, uh, if those that want to go up, then if you get up, I'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and take you up. So just close your eyes. Put your head up. Take a deep breath. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Good. Now, when you get them up there, you feel winds. They're already coming here really strong now. Welcome to Christ Alignment. So, um, anyone that um, does a reading hears from the spirit realm, which exists outside of time and space. So, we're hearing from the Christ Spirit. Um, I said, God, I've prayed for like a hundred crippled people, not one. He said, that's because I want you to grab that lady's crippled legs and bang them up and down on the platform like a baseball bat. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. The word that's most often translated repent in our Bibles is the word metanoia in Greek. Meta literally means to expand. Noia means your mind. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, he's not saying anything about being sorry for our sins. No, he's actually telling us to expand our minds. I'm pointing out that the gospel is about, it's not the gospel of salvation, it's the gospel of the kingdom. We weren't supposed to go everywhere preaching salvation, which is good, but how I many know salvation is onto something bigger Salvation is the entrance into the kingdom. 
So this is modern Christianity. So every time I play these clips and every time I do a series on false teaching in the church, people get mad at me. I get, I get, I get them, I call them, I call them nasty grams or angry grams, whatever, however you want to say it. But basically people get mad at me because they say, you shouldn't do this. You're an accuser of the brethren. You're not, you're, you're, you're putting down the church. You're making the church look bad. And I step back and I say, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the one making the church look bad. See, as a minister of the gospel, there is a, there is a, there is a mandate that we are supposed to call out falsehoods. Otherwise, the world thinks that they represent the church. The world will think that you agree with this. If you don't stand up and say, I'm sorry, this is not biblical Christianity. Absolutely not. So when you think about this, on one side, we started off with Andy Stanley, who has a long history of teaching people that the Bible is not the word of God, that the Bible talks about God, but it's not the word of God. Unless he's talking about Jesus and he thinks it's fine. Where do you draw that line? How can it not be the word of God and then be the word of God? At the same time, it can't. You have NAR churches like Bethel teaching that you can just take a trip to heaven whenever you want. There's a very popular women's minister. Ladies, if you listen to this lady, her name is Kat Carr. Please stop listening to her. She's one of these people who believes she can sit down and teach you how to go to heaven. And in one message, please look this up for yourself. She said she went to heaven and Jesus took her to St. Patrick's mansion. And it was surrounded by singing shamrocks. I'm not making this up. I couldn't make up something that weird. She's a popular women's speaker. They take her to conferences to influence people around the world. They pay her to come and do this. You got groups like Christ Alignment, which, by the way, is a missions organization supported by Bethel Church in Redding, California. You know, Jesus Culture, Bethel Music. If you listen to them, part of your money is going to support this group who goes to occult festivals. They do palm readings. They do spiritual energy transfers. They do tarot cards, but they call them destiny cards. I think they're angel cards now because they keep changing them up. They sell Ouija boards that they call angel boards, and they help people get in touch with the spiritual forces around them. I've been to their website. I've watched their videos. I've never seen one person legitimately come to Lord, and their website mentions Jesus nowhere. But this is ministry? This is missions work? Are we kidding ourselves? You got people going to cemeteries, what you saw up there called grave soaking, literally to try to pull Leftover anointing, apparently anointing is sort of like a buffet plate. If you don't finish it, you get to take it to the grave with you. And then people can come and grab the leftover anointing that's sitting in the ground with you. Who comes up with this? I don't think there's enough. You know what? The Spirit of God that was sent to heaven after Jesus left, he said the helper would come to me. I don't think the Holy Spirit is enough I'm going to go grab some leftover rotten decaying anointing from an old revivalist by laying on their grave. And this is supposed to be a valid ministry option? How do you teach a class on that one? How do you get the Holy Spirit? Lay on that really cold rock. I don't think that that's how this works. 
You got Todd Bentley, who's been exposed as a fraud more times than I can count, has multiple affairs, and guess what? A month ago, he announced that he was coming back into ministry and people were celebrating. He's the guy who said that Jesus didn't show up because he hadn't kicked the lady in the face. Please look up the video for yourself because later on, he helps you understand. He did. He did. And this is supposed to be Christianity. The guy who's telling you that metanoia means to open your mind, doesn't mean to repent of your sin, even though every translator in all of history, in every Bible and print, has translated metanoia, repent, which means recognize your sin, turn 180 degrees and follow in the words, in the words of Jesus. He thinks that by taking apart that word in, a, in an etymological sense, breaking it up in its two root words, somehow you can define the meaning of it. Now, most of the time you can, but there are words that when you put two together, they mean something completely different. Let me help you out. Flip-flop. Meathead. Jack wagon. We could go on. Sometimes you have to look at how it's always been used in history. But now somehow it's supposed to just mean open your mind to new options for the universe? Are you kidding me? This is a rising star in his denomination. This kid is traveling all over the world preaching his version of heresy. I don't think I even need to go on. This is supposed to be what modern Christianity is. Now let me ask you something. Preach the gospel and make disciples. Strengthen the souls of the disciples and exhort one another to continue on in the faith. Does any of that resemble those core principles? No. They actually defy those core principles. And the problem is not that they do what they do. The problem is the rest of the church is silent. They don't, rec- they don't represent the majority of the church. They represent a minority of the church. But the majority is silent, which allows the rest of the world to think that they represent true biblical historic Christianity, and they don't. So there, that might be one reason why people might not be coming to church, because they don't want to be like this. Here's another one. I showed you last week some of the Gallup polls that have come out. Church membership is now at the lowest it's ever been in the United States. And more frightening, that um, 40% of the people in the United States who confess to have faith will not connect with the body of believers. So 40% of the Christians in the United States don't want to have anything to do with the organized church. And they usually say it like this, it's more important to be spiritual than religious. This is a difficult thing. So the church has to come to terms with this. What is going on? Now, in the early 2000s, um, Answers in Genesis Ministries sponsored a survey of young adults... I think it was ages 18 to 25, young adults who were raised in conservative churches. This was, this was the parameters of the study. They had to be raised in conservative churches. And then after they got, they got of age, they walked away from their faith. So they surveyed those people specifically because they wanted to know what was going on. They gave 10 basic reasons why they had walked away from their faith. And it looks like this. First thing first, uh, boring service. Okay, legalism. Hypocrisy of leaders, too political, self-righteous people, distance from home. We, we have cars now. I don't know if you realize that, but you can actually get places really fast. Not relevant to personal growth. God would never condemn to hell. The Bible's not relevant today. This one is my favorite one. Couldn't find a preferred denomination in their area. 
I think that's someone who's not looking very hard. Now, honestly, I understand every one of these complaints, and I have seen from the church valid examples of why people would say that to every one of these. I've seen valid examples of this. But you know there are always two sides to an argument? Some of these are just convenient excuses. So let me give you maybe a separate side of what some of these might look like. So let's, let's see, and this is what I mean by the church pushing back on some of these. Instead of going, yeah, I know there's legalism, I'm really sorry. Oh, I know some services aren't as exciting as other ones. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me push back on these a little bit. This, this is what pushing back might sound like. Does a boring service mean bad preaching? Does it mean that you're not coming to draw close to God, but you're coming to be entertained? This is a legitimate question. How about this one? Does legalism really mean that the church has crazy rules? Or are they simply living according to the moral laws of God and you don't want to? This is real simple. How about this one? Are the leaders really all hypocrites? Or are you just too prideful to serve? I'd happily lead, but I'm not serving under them. Hmm. You see, it goes both ways. How about this one? Is the church really too political, or are they just on the wrong side of the political aisle for you? See, most people, it's okay if you're political this way, but you can't be political that way. Okay. How about this one? Were the people in the church really self-righteous or were they just real Christians and you're not? This is a legitimate question. Are there, is the church really full of self-righteous people or are they just really Christians living out a Christian faith and you're not? You're someone who's trying to get fire insurance but not having to change their life. Is the church really too far away or are you too lazy? Let me say this a different way. Every one of us knows someone like this. They'll drive 100 miles to Syracuse to go to dinner, but they won't drive 20 miles to church. We all know people like this. To be honest, I will drive all the way to Syracuse just to go to Chick-fil-A. Okay, yes, absolutely, yeah. Abel Larkin and his family actually just came back from a trip in South Carolina. He brought me some anointing oil, uh, better known as a quart of Chick-fil-A sauce. Bless his heart. <laughs> do, I, do I need to keep going or have I made my point? I think I made my point. There are two sides to every argument. Both sides can be valid but both sides need to be examined. As I look at this list as a whole, all these ten reasons these people uh, uh, examined for leaving the church, there's a thought that comes to light, and I hope you can see this too, that this generation was not brought up in relationship to God. This generation was brought up in the knowledge of God, but they were not brought up in relationship to God. They were brought up to be students of the Bible or students of the church, but they were not brought up to have a personal relationship with Christ. Now, I have seen this play out in people's lives over and over and over again. Parents, and, and I, I, gotta, I don't have kids, so I need to say this carefully because every time I bring it up, someone goes, because you don't have kids, you're not allowed to say something like this. I usually ask the same question back. Is it true? Because if it is, shut up. 
They don't like it. This is, what, this is the mistake a lot of Christian parents make. Not all of them, but a lot of Christian parents make this. They don't believe that their kid still needs to get saved. Please hear this. They don't believe that their kid needs to get saved. My little cherubim doesn't need to come to a place where they realize that there's sin in their life and they need to be repentant. My little baby has never done anything. Folks, I've been in the nursery after church. That ain't an angel, okay? When you go to pick your kids up at kids' church or in the nursery, when we actually reopen them, and you open the door and the person looks like they just came out of a World War II shelling, you know, their eyes are big, they don't even know who they are, they're just handing you random kids, they're not even yours, they're just handing you kids. That's not because they were in the company of angels, (laughs) okay? I'm just saying just being serious. But here's the thing. Just because those things exist in the church does not mean that as Christians we don't push back against them. You see, biblical Christianity has to be defended. Historic Christianity, Christianity that is in line with the teaching of God, needs to be defended. We don't just sit back and go, well, you know, we don't want to stir up any trouble. We're not the ones stirring up trouble. We're identifying falsehoods. And when we go back to our list, I think this is pretty clear. Historic Christianity, Christianity is difficult. Last bit of crazy and then we're going to go. All denominations have the same issues. And a lot of our issues today are fueled by an incredible blessing that we have. It's called technology. Ever since the first TV preacher has hit the air, every mistake that any preacher ever makes is now available for all to see on social media. And the, the cool thing is, it's a double blessing. There are people in your lives who will store that, that, that horrible mistake so that they can bring it up to you constantly for the rest of your life to make sure you never forget that one mistake that you made way back then. That way you can never move forward and become something different. Every church, both Catholic and Protestant, we've all had our bouts with legalism, moral failures, financial mismanagement, and our public figures just doing weird things. Right? Legalism is there because people twist the Bible to control people. They do it all the time. Typically, we call them cults. Okay? We have moral failures, people have affairs, there's pedophilia and unnatural sexual practices. We'll just leave it at that. And have you ever seen a message where you're asked to sow a seed blessing into so-and-so's ministry so that you can access the financial blessings that God has for you? All you got to do is send me $1,000 and God will open up the heavens and pour a blessing on you. Actually, the only thing that's going to happen is your pocketbook's going to get opened up and it's gonna, all the money's going to come out. How about this one? We've got preachers today wearing $5,000 shoes, wearing $25,000 watches, driving $600,000 cars, living in a $20 million home, asking for their congregations who are making minimum wage to come up with $75 million so they can buy a, a new private plane because they're too good to fly commercial. That's what I think every time I see them. That was perfectly done on cue. I appreciate that. Just... I gave them a needle before the service started. Just, just, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is what's going on. 
And then a lot of our high-profile public figures do weird things. They do weird things. The people who have the big TV ministries and are known all around the world, think about this. Last year, prophets like Chris Vallotton, Bill Johnson, Sid Roth, Jeremiah Johnson, Lance Wallnow, Paula White, Cat Carriage, Shayon, and the list goes on, all got on national TV and they got on YouTube and they declared that God had spoken to them and that Trump was going to be president. Hallelujah. Didn't happen. But God had spoken to them. I've even heard some of them. God spoke to me that Trump is going to be the new president, but there's darkness coming against him, so you need to sow a seed offering into our ministry to help our prayer to... You see where this goes? That's not mismanagement or manipulation at all. Some of those people have repented, and I appreciate that. Other ones say that it was because the church lost faith that it didn't happen. That's convenient, right? It's kind of like God wants to heal you if you have the faith. Other people claim that the devil, that Trump did win, but the devil stole it. I've never seen a prophecy through Scripture that the devil was able to steal. Pretty much when God says this is going to happen, it pretty much happened. Could you imagine God saying this is going to happen and going, oh, oh, that tricky devil. Oh, where did he take that? It doesn't happen. And what was even better is last year, a lot of these same prophets got on the same platforms and they declared by their authority that COVID-19 was healed across the world because they were speaking by their authority as prophets of God. Guess what? COVID's still here. Among all of these, the best known, one of the most well-known people in in the Christian world today is Kenneth Copeland. I'm going to show you two clips that he put out from his own ministry. And you tell me if this represents the church or not. Go ahead. Standing in the office of the prophet of God. I execute judgment on you, COVID-19. I execute judgment on you, Satan. You destroyer. You killer. You get out. You break your power. You get off this nation. I demand judgment on you. I demand. I demand. I demand a vaccination to come immediately. Yes. When... When Almighty, Almighty, strong, strong, south wind, south wind, heat, heat, burn this thing, burn this thing, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Satan, Jesus. you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. COVID-19. I blow the wind of God. The wind of God. On you. On you. Okay, so moving right along. These two clips 
and I picked these two on purpose, out of all of the ones that are out there, these have been copied, replayed, turned into dance mixes, not kidding, please look it up for yourself, and have been replayed hundreds of millions of times to mock the church. Because if this is one of our most well-known preachers and TV evangelists, why would you want to be part of the church that's going to turn you into this? Atheist organizations have been using this since it came out for obvious reasons. Hundreds of millions of times to mock the church. But here's a couple of things you need to know. See, the problem isn't that he did it. See, that's where he wants to go. That's fine. This is the problem. He has been a central figure in the charismatic church for what now, 30 years? He has a net worth of over $100 million. He owns seven planes. I think he lives in a $14 million mansion on like a 150-acre plot in Texas. He has his own airport, and his ministry receives over $200 million in donations from Christians around the world who are obviously not paying attention to what this guy is bringing. Think about this. $200 million are going so that this kind of message can get spread all over the world to represent Christianity. People throw money at him and other ministries. This is the problem. Not that they're doing it, but that a lot of the church supports it. And we think, well, you know, they do some good things. You know what? The Salvation Army does some good things too. The March of Dimes does some good things. There's a lot of other organizations that do some good things. We're not called to do good things. We're called to save souls. We're called to bring the gospel to the world. Not to come to the world and go... Could you imagine standing in front of someone you're trying to witness to and you grab their shoulders and let them know, I'm going to blow the wind of God on you? This is the problem. If we're going to seriously examine the reasons for the decline of Christianity, the decline of the church, and the decline of biblical authority in our world, we have to take a serious look at our own house. Of our own house. Those people who are leaving the church are not simply unfaithful people. They not, they're not even, I'm not even going to say that they're unsaved people. They might just not want to be associated with this kind of stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. The church is not declining in numbers throughout the world because Christianity is becoming irrelevant. The church is declining because what we put forward as Christianity is irrelevant to the Christian faith. But here's the good thing, folks. This is where I'm going to close. There are tens of thousands of churches around the world and there are millions of Christians in this country who are all doing the right thing. They are following the biblical mandate. They are, they are attaching themselves to biblical Christianity. They're teaching the right things. They're standing up. They're, they're ministering the gospel. They're bringing people to Christ. They're out there. I think this is one of those churches. But here's the thing. We cannot stay silent in the face of this kind of nonsense. Otherwise, the world is going to think that the minority that's making all the noise is representing the silent majority.
We've got to turn this ship around. And the way we do that is through gentleness and humility, but by pushing forward what is true, what is right, and what is good. We preach the gospel and we make disciples, but we also strengthen the souls of the disciples. And as individual believers, we exhort one another to live the faith. That's our job. And there's a lot of people doing it. Don't let this discourage you. This is the minority. The problem is this is what's in public. (laughs) This is what the world is seeing. We need to do things differently. We need to approach ourselves differently. And next week, we're going to take a look at what the church is really supposed to be and how God can use us. So today, today was the ugly part. Next week's the good part. I hope you come back. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in our despair, that you don't leave us. When we look around and we see the numbers around the world, Lord, and we think, oh no, what's, what's going on? We're in trouble. If we just step back and recognize that you have a plan, Lord, that your blessing is always on those who follow in your footsteps, that if we pursue you, your spirit is with us. Father, help us engage our faith in a way that shows the world who you really are, who you have always been. Help us to reconnect with historic, biblical Christianity and help us to not be afraid to confront what does not accurately represent you. Help us to do this with humility, with great patience, and always trying to help that person come back to a solid relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.